Eagle looking great. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the Sci-Fi Wise Guys podcast. My name is Anthony. My name is Chris. My name is Todd. Todd. What's up, Todd? Hi, Todd. Hey. How you doing, guys? Fantastic. Welcome to the podcast. For anyone who doesn't know Todd, how dare you not know Todd? Todd is the host of the totally awesome Spies Like Us podcast. He reviews and breaks down uh, pretty in-depth spy movies. Both the movie and the spycraft. Yeah, give us your give us your podcast. Give us, give us your elevator pitch for your podcast. You got Thirty seconds. Sell everyone. <laughs> oh god. Um, <laughs> spy movies come in all flavors. Some people said they're you know I'd run out of content. I say no 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 no. They make they make more spy content faster than I can review it. And there's incredibly silly and stupid spy movies, and there's incredibly intelligent and. Uh, well-constructed spy movies and uh i like talking about all of them right nice very cool i like spy movies especially because there's so much uh hidden information in them you know and and people deceiving each other and a lot of times you know they're, they're just really fun to like take apart and see how they tick i think there's a pretty big overlap in science fiction movies and spy movies and that they try to be smart they try to like challenge the the viewer to to think about things in a certain way or be mysterious or what have you. They don't always get it, uh, but I think that they do. A, they both kind of have that that sub goal, so it's a it's pretty nice. Plus, I mean, James Bond's all all of his gra- all of his gadgets might as well be science fiction. Wait, James Bond's not real. Uh, <laughs> only Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> all the other versions of him have been fan fiction actually even wow. even the old ones were fan fiction of pierce brosnan that's just how that goes wow. Wow. i'm wow. i'm probably i'm now i'm now at one park bench rating <laughs> for my spy knowledge <laughs> as we're going through so uh if y'all are listening to the podcast the recording on whatever podcast streaming service you use or hosting service you use uh you'd probably notice that we released an episode uh of spies like us with with us talking with Todd about Total Recall 1990 the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic so what you should do is stop listening to this i mean for just a minute go to Todd's pod spies like us subscribe download i actually have a couple of things for you Todd if if you don't mind answering some questions before we start yes um, uh yeah sure can i just really quick yeah, because yeah. um in retrospect spies like us was probably not the best name to pick because <laughs> If you Google Spies Like Us, you're going to get a bunch of stuff. Please, if you want to be sure you get to the right place, go to spieslikeus.net. Yes, the website. And there's also going to be a YouTube link because we are transitioning to video. I'm super excited for you guys to see what I've done uh, with the recording we did uh, together. I could not be happier so far, and I still have another week to to keep dressing it up. I did watch uh, that preview you sent us. I thought it was really cool. With the movie playing in the background a little bit. I thought it was really. Yeah. Cool. Oh, was it? Was that in the email? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think we were so, we were part of an e- uh, a group of people that Todd emailed. Oh, gotcha. That too. Gotcha. Um, uh, spoiler alert about the Sci-Fi Wise Guys email uh, at sci-fiwiseguys at gmail Shameless plug. Send us your suggestions and feedback. Uh, if Chris sees an email before I do and marks it as read, I might not see it, and vice versa. <laughs> As this happened here, that's the uh, that's what happens when you have a joint email. <laughs> yeah, Todd, I've just got a uh, really two or three questions. All right, how and why spies like us? What was your why did you do a, why did you do spy movies? 
Uh, sure. Well, that was because of David mostly. I mean, I was, I was the one that really wanted to do a podcast and I ran through and I thought like, what are, what are my critical ingredients for success? I need a friend that's committed to doing it with me and that, uh, there's a subject that we share a passion for. And he's, <laughs> he and I have always just really enjoyed, uh, talking about spy movies. It's, it's a thing that intersects, uh, given my personal taste, I would have done something more like what you guys do. I'm much more of a science fiction fan than a spy movie fan. But it just happened to be the the right person with the right subject and the intersection of things. And uh, that's that's why. Nice. Very cool. Uh, oh, and I, then also something that I'd never run out of content for. Oh, sure. <laughs> I, right. I think that I'm going to accuse Chris of we didn't decide to do a science fiction podcast. He came up with a name first and said, that's a dope name. What do I do with that? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my second, my second question is, uh, I most recently listened to the Casino Royale episode, okay, which does hold a special place in my heart. Uh, it was actually the last movie I saw with my uncle before he passed away. Huge oh. James Bond fan. He, he was very critical of any movie that star any James Bond movie after Sean Connery. Uh, I mean, he liked them, but you know, it's just, it's, it's not the same. Right, uh, right, but right. in that episode, I I heard you say something when you were talking to David um, about being on tilt, and you said it's a term that you use in competitive video gaming. Oh yeah. What video games have you played competitively? Oh well, uh, I have a really really rotten Overwatch habit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I pretty much I pretty much turn it on every night when I'm too drunk to do anything else, uh, and just swing my big Reinhardt hammer around. Very nice. cool. Uh, down in down in the bronze leagues. <laughs> I played, did you ever, there's a game called Soldat that was kind of a, um, an indie, an indie game. Think, think Mario Brothers married to Counter-Strike and you're kind of in, in the zone, like a, like a, you know, a 2D platformer Counter-Strike. Interesting. Okay. All right. And I played, I played the living hell out of that game. Nice. Uh, it had, um. Okay. Yeah. It had a huge amount of custom, customizability and map building. Uh, stuff for for modders. Wow. Okay, I'm looking at screenshots right now. Okay, 2002 looks pretty neat. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how uh, active it is anymore. <laughs> I mean, there's a community for every game. Uh, I mean, there's very sure. few games that are truly dead. I mean, this thing's got a nine out of ten on Steam. Someone plays this. You thing. know what? You know what game is truly dead? Shadowrun. <laughs> that's probably for the best. That's a running. That's a running uh, joke between me and Chris. <laughs> that's probably um, really? the best. Probably. Hey, you know, sp- speaking of Shadowrun, uh, I did a. Um, I worked with a team to do a, you know, like a, a custom adventure. Oh yeah. A thing for that, yeah. It's based on a module uh, from the old paper and pen thing. Nice. I haven't checked the numbers in a long time, but within like three months, we had like a million downloads or something. Oh, it's pretty successful bad. for a, yeah, heck yeah, for just a little fan made thing. I know that the three remade Shadowrun games just hit Game Pass, so I'll be trying those out actually pretty soon. I'm pretty excited. Of course, the Shadowrun that me and Chris joke about is the shooter from like 2007, (laughs) 8, something like that. Because it's. Man, I had so many people return that game at GameStop. Yeah. They came in, they flipped it over on the back. They're like, oh, it's like a first person shooter. And then they took it home, had internet, realized it was an online only game and brought it back. Yep. That was pretty, uh, that was the standard. I, I have a question. Are you done with questions for Todd? I have a question. We're interrogating I'm done, Todd. I'm done this with This is like the laziest Todd. spy interrogation <laughs> that there ever was. We're lulling him. Uh, yeah. 
Bond, Bourne, or Bauer? Who's the best B spy? I don't. I have. I still haven't watched Twenty Four. Okay, me neither. So Bond <laughs> or Bourne? Um, it was Bourne. It was Bourne until the Daniel Craig movies came along. Oh yeah, and, and took. I think took everything that made Bourne superior to Bond, and just took all that stuff, layered it onto the Bourne formula. And then, uh, you know, cranked it up to 11. I think the Daniel Craig Bond is is outstanding. Less jump cuts on the fight scenes, though. I'll tell you that. Hmm? Less, less, less jump, jump cuts. cuts on the fight scenes. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think the Daniel Craig Bonds were definitely, they're like equal parts answers to Austin Powers and the Bourne movies. I, I always felt like, and if we're going down a rabbit hole, we don't need to go down. But no, I, I totally, I get that. I, I, yeah. I can get behind your answer. Um, we can uh, argue about this on Twitter later. Um, <laughs> the internet. The internet will argue it for us. Where all yeah. arguments go to die. Well, all right. we are the sci-fi wise guys. Let's. We always wait way too long into the show before we introduce ourselves, but we review science fiction and science fiction adjacent, straight to stream television, movies, short films, fan films. Distribute originals. Yeah, distribute my originals. Favorite word. <laughs> that word is in Wikipedia. We found that word. That's a real word. Uh, YouTube shorts, pretty much if it's got moving pictures, people talking, and it's vaguely science fiction, there's a chance we're going to watch it. Uh, We watched a movie, all three of us. What did we watch, Anthony? We watched Total Recall, the 2012 remake. Mm. Yes. Total Recall is a 2012 action science fiction action film. No, I'm sorry. Well, it's it's technically correct. American science fiction action film directed by Lynn Wiseman, starring Colin Farrell, Kate Beckinsale, and Jessica Biel. Yeah. I had forgotten Jessica Biel was in this movie, <laughs> much like I had forgotten that Jessica Biel existed. <laughs> this is, I think, her, this is her, like, zenith, yeah? Right about? Like, nah. from 2006 to oh, about 2012? Yeah. yeah. This movie um, is, this movie reeks of 2012. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. We want to get some facts out of the way? Fact me. All right. I don't know if you knew this, Todd, but Total Recall 2012 has a 6.2 on IMDb with over 250,000 ratings. Median score of six. Really solid 6.7 ratings. Vast majority of the ratings sit in there. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, our second favorite aggregate website. 31% tomato meter, rotten. 47% audience score. It doesn't say rotten, but let's be honest. That's That's... <laughs> Popcorn on the floor. Uh, Critics' <laughs> consensus. While it boasts some impressive action sequences, Total Recall lacks the intricate writing, wry humor, and fleshed-out characters that made the original a sci-fi classic. And then our least favorite aggregate site, Metacritic. <laughs> it's got a 43 Metascore with 41 critic reviews and a 5.8 user score. So actually, uh, the user score beating out uh, Rotten Tomatoes user score. So I think that's that's happened more and more lately. It's pretty interesting. And there's a summary here that I'm not going to read. It is way too long. Fair enough. I think overall we can say that the reviews are positive, mixed to positive. Like it's it's not horrible. It's not gutter trash, but it's not great is what the critics, the, the people's, the critics consensus is. Well, that Rotten Tomatoes score is pretty darn low. <laughs> 31 yeah well if That's you look at fair. the if you look at the review breakdowns on metacritic for the user ratings mm-hmm. it's 178 positive 188 mixed and 86 negative okay so based on the 30 seconds that I, it took for me to look at that what i think is 178 people were like meh it's a good movie 188 people were like, this isn't a good movie. And then 86 people said, this is nothing like the 1990 version, and I'm going to give it a zero. 
So. <laughs> I think that Rotten Tomatoes always kind of because it's a it's not a star rating like everything else. It's hard to compare it to the others. It's it's a rotten or it's not rotten. It's a really odd way to do it. Well, they're either, they're unique and they've cornered their little market. Unfortunately, <laughs> whenever indie films start putting their Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> tomato meter on their advertisements, I'm like, well, they're here to stay. That's unfortunate. <laughs> I picked out this movie. This whole thing was my scheme. Really great idea. Oh, thank you. I've had three good ideas. Mark it down, Chris. <laughs> I'm going to forget. Thank you. I want to give the floor to our guest here. Why don't you give us your initial thoughts, opinions, rants, whatever, you, whatever you're feeling. Oh, and I guess actually in answer to the question, had you seen this movie prior to watching it for the podcast? No. No, no okay. I have not. Okay, and we just recently watched the 1990 version, so I know that both are kind of fresh, so... Take it away. Yeah. Right. So, you know, expectations being a huge driver of of how people react to movies. And that's super true with me. Because I hated the Robocop remake with The Fury of a Thousand Suns, I, I steered way, way, way clear of this one. From even hearing that they were going to attempt it, I was like, why? Please don't. I was happy to tackle it uh, for this podcast. And... I actually think I enjoyed it uh, with the fury of maybe half a dozen brown dwarfs. All right. <laughs> I think I like it more than the people on the, um, uh, the than the critics and most of the audience out there. Then when I after I you know really settled on like my personal opinion because I don't like to pollute it by looking at the reviews first. Sure. When I did read the, the reviews, I found myself nodding alongside all of their points about the action's great. Everyone seems to agree with me that Kate Beckinsale is freaking awesome in this movie. But uh, the comments about the lackluster characters and writing made me scratch my head a little until uh, I went back and really started thinking about the 1990 movie and just how very, very quotable it is, uh, which is something you cannot say about this movie at all. That's true. Chris, did you want to... A couple things. Initially, so this is the... I like Todd, this is the first time I saw this movie. I remember, I remember when it was coming out. So, we, as we said before, this came out around 2012. A couple of movies that also came out around 2012: uh, Red Dawn, The Maze Runner, Hercules, A Good Day to Die Hard. I, I think I only saw Hercules out of all those, which might be the worst of them. I didn't hate this movie. I thought there were some problems. Now, I don't think we really touched on it in the 1990 pod. But this is based on a short story by Philip K. Dick called "You Can We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. And I'm not even sure which of these movies is more like the other or which of these movies is more like the short story. Mm. What I really liked about this movie was I think what everyone can agree on is the action sequences are pretty good. I actually kind of enjoyed the acting outside of Kate Beckinsale, uh, Jessica Biel, Colin Farrell. Brian Cranston, the Brian Cranston. Cranston does a pretty Jeez. good job. Bokeem Woodbine, second appearance on the Sci-Fi Wise Guys podcast. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Who was the second appearance? Bokeem Woodbine. He was in the remember the time travel movie from Philadelphia, the Moon movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the his he's his partner. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You think the acting is good outside of the main three? Well, I just I, like there's no outright bad acting. Like, I think maybe, maybe John Cho goes a little overboard, you know? But I mean, it's his only appearance in the film. Like, he gets one scene. Like, why not go for it? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a generic action movie from 2012. Like, it's fun. Not great, but fun. 
So I did something that I only mildly regret, and we'll see how much I regret it by the time this is done. I got a Blu-ray of this movie, (laughs) and I watched this film yesterday, and then I watched the director's cut of this film yesterday slash this morning because it was four hours of movie by the time it was all said and done. Um, I'm assuming y'all streamed it on Netflix? I watched it on Netflix. Yeah. Netflix? Mm, I came about it by some means. Gotcha. He, he, he watched it any way that he could. <laughs> yes. Right. You watch it any way you can. I have a feeling it was the director's cut, though, because I read when I read in Wiki, it seemed like the Ethan Hawke stuff yes. was not in the main cut. Yes. So Chris is confused about what we're talking about <laughs> with Ethan Hawke. Right. I saw it with the Ethan Hawke stuff. <laughs> so I watched it without Ethan Hawke, and then I watched it with Ethan Hawke. <laughs> Two different movies, like they feel different with some of the same flaws. One thing I do like about the 2012 remake is the com- the combined characters. There's no Richter. They took the Sharon Stone yeah. character and made it both. Like I-, I liked that. It gives one one character more to do instead of the separate character for whatever reason. That being said, and this is played by Kate Beckinsale, I feel like her motivation is very much like, oh, this is a bad guy. We got to get him. And I'm like, there's nothing There's nothing there. There's no layers to it. So yeah. like combining the characters <laughs> plus making the character worse somehow when you did that, minus. Like it, there's no connection. Um, Even like minus spy points, she tries to murder Quaid for no apparent reason. She has him subdued. They're in the apartment. They're alone. He's not leaving. Like, she's in no danger. No one else is in any danger. I know that she hasn't been given the order to murder him because, well, she's on the phone when he comes in, but, you know, he, he's, it's the whole, same whole thing with Cohagen. Don't, you know, capture, don't kill, that whole thing. So I don't know why she attacks him in the apartment. I have no idea why. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, they also combine the characters, well, kind of the characters of his friend and uh, the doctor. Mm-hmm. Like, they removed Dr. Was it Egmar or whatever from Egmar, yeah. That's right. Like looking back at it now, I don't think I mentioned it before, but like they invented a character for this one scene in the 1990 <laughs> film. He has no relation to anybody. Well, he just kind of shows up. I mean, he was in the commercial. Oh, was he in the commercial? Yeah. And oh, I, that's such a vague reference. I didn't even catch it. Like having seen the movie the one time, <laughs> I didn't even catch it. I actually have a note. Yeah. I didn't have I didn't have a chance to talk about this note when we did Todd's Pod. <laughs> Todd's Pod. Is Memory of a Lifetime the best made-up movie jingle that you've ever heard? Ooh. For the memory of a lifetime. <laughs> That's pretty good. That recall, pretty good. recall, recall. Sorry. No, that's... <laughs> I'm isolating that. We're going to use that again later. Uh, but but having it be his friend who comes in and tries to get him, like pulling into the heartstrings there, like that makes so much more sense. Like So those couple of things make sense. That being said... The film suffers from being a PG-13 action movie in 2012. As I'm watching the film, I turned to Kat and I was like, hey, this this film needs to be rated R. Like there needs to be some more substance to it. Yeah. The action, like it, like I said, it's just that generic 2012 crap. Like there's the rooftop running scene because every movie has to have a rooftop running scene, right? Bond did it. Bourne did it. Uh, District B-13 did it, but very well. <laughs> You have the long, one long cut gun scene of right when guns start. So that's that's the whole, just everything. He's got to be shooting robots because he can't shoot too many people on screen. So we have to have robots. Uh, yeah, and then boo. even though it ends up being a a, a, a a fake out, like, oh, the robots all have a kill switch. I'm like, oh, okay. Science fiction. Very good. Yep. I've seen this before several times in the last 70 years. And then you have to have the hardest nails female lead 
who also ends up like they're they rescue the main character and they're they're all on their own and they can do this and that and gun chases and cars and blah 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 but as soon as they're with the male lead the male lead has to help them stand up and put their arm around them the whole time and jessica <laughs> wow. bill's character gets cut off at the knees and i'm like yep okay you mentioned other movies like robo the new robocop okay you mentioned live free or die hard both of those movies pg-13 versions of films that were pre or sequels or remakes of r-rated movies and franchises like there's a there's a certain neutering of the violence and uh, how in, in in your face some of it can be by overall just to just so i don't give away all my points so we can actually have a discussion i feel like i didn't like the movie as much as the 1990 version even though it did a bunch of things better i felt it had a much better plot but the pacing is all off the i i liked the scene with harry trying to get him out of the the simulation if that's what it is or dream where i i don't even know but it felt like it came too soon like it didn't feel right like i remember i saw this film when it came to the theater in 2012 and i had the same thought when i watched it now like I don't believe Harry at all. As the audience, I don't believe Harry at all. There's no reason for me to second guess this whatsoever. I don't know if it's because I've seen the the Schwarzenegger film or just, it's just like he barely meets up with Melina and then Jessica Biel's character and then immediately has everything questioned. But it's like, no, I don't know. It just didn't quite, the pacing fell off. But otherwise, otherwise it's a fun action movie. It's fun. I think I agree with Chris there. I found a Uh list of 2012 action thriller films okay okay and and i'm going to read the i'm going to name the ones that are them science fiction ish okay okay oh this is what we're up against yeah the born legacy came out in 2012 Mm -hmm. okay bullet to the head not really science fiction ish love that movie the dark knight rises okay expendables 2 okay invader it's a spanish french action movie oh okay also not science fiction but get the gringo which one is that the mel gibson one yes okay Jack Reacher, not really science fiction. Zero Dark Thirty, not really science fiction. Underworld Awakening. The Sweeney, which is a, a, a remake of a 70s British police drama show. I don't know. Spy, Six Bullets, Savages, Safe House, Safe. And then a movie called Motorway, which is a Hong Kong action film, which actually looks really interesting. So in 2012, is Dark Knight Rises like the default best movie out of that list? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Because Born Legacy is when Jeremy Renner takes the reins for that one one shot. Yeah. But Underworld Awakening, I don't remember being a very good movie. That's when she like wakes up after being imprisoned for like 100 years or something in cryosleep. I can't remember all of those movies, man. <laughs> uh, like it's it's just another like reason to get Kate Beckinsale into a leather jumpsuit. Like that's the only reason why that movie exists. Is like, hey, sure. Do do you want to reprise this role of Celine? Like, yeah, okay. Well, you have to wear another tight fitting outfit. I was like, how much are you going to pay me? Yeah, four million. So, okay, four million. Yeah. All right. So I feel like out of all those films, though, I think Total Recall definitely falls in the bottom half. Yeah, and that's a lot of competition. You know. Like that's a, that's some staunch competition, but just bottom, an action genre. The bottom half of that list, I think. I think it fits solidly in the bottom half of that list. I mean, you got Bullet to the Head, Expendables two, two like just like they're huge. The Batman, Born movie coming out with another uh, another one. Like this is a remake. I, I want to sound kind of cliche, but I feel like I feel like there's a there's a there's a type of person that would say no one asked for this. No one asked for like the original holds up more or less. I feel like that's kind of how I feel about it. Like it's fun, but I also would have rather them made an original sci-fi action thrill with Colin Farrell 
Kate Beckinsale and Jessica Biel. Like that's that's a great cast. Come up with something original. Yeah. I mean, the cast of this movie is really good. There isn't really a weak link. I mean, we didn't even talk about Bill Niggy yet. Nagy? Nai. Nai. I mean, he's, you know, uh, and Ethan Hawke, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, this, this is pretty good cast. We might have to explain that at some point. Yeah, we yeah. might have to explain that. I'll let you, Todd, why don't you talk about Ethan Hawke's role in the in the director's cut, the extended version? Well, he's Hauser. So in the 2012 version, it's not just a memory wipe, but also a full cosmetic surgery oh. uh, situation. He goes into a much greater length. I think he, I think he gets like eight minutes. I think is what I saw on on Wiki. I I might not have paid super close attention to everything he said, but he explains he explains the story like quite a bit, quite a bit more than you know either the nineteen ninety version or this one. He actually lays it out in a way that you know Hauser didn't tell Quaid Jack sh- someone's mom is watching the stream. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just get your ass to Mars. <laughs> but in this, he, he actually walks through and tells him about his his personal transformational journey about how I used to be on Team Red. And then I, I realized that that was bad. And now I'm on Team Blue. So the scene with uh, Quaid, Colin Farrell, uh, doing the piano and putting the key in. And then there's a hologram of Colin Farrell's head. Remember that, Chris? Yes. That's Ethan Hawke's head in the director's Oh, cut. very yeah. neat. Uh, Ethan Hawke's also on the TV at the beginning when they mention Hauser in the background. When he's on TV, they show a picture of Ethan Hawke. Oh. Yeah. When the hologram pops up, when they're probing his brain, when Matthias is probing Quaid's brain, you see Ethan Hawke's face pop up. And I got to say, like, we talked about at length how Cohagen's like, whole plan didn't make any sense in the 1990 version. I feel like his, the, they made a lot of good changes to make that plan make sense in some form or fashion. It makes more sense, but it, at the same time, it feels a lot less necessary in the first place than in the first movie in the first movie we have a very clear reason we have psychics that we have to defeat in order to pull this off and then they come up with a crappy plan to do it in this one (laughs) they don't really need to jump through all these hoops but the hoops that they decide to jump through make a lot more sense and are more consistent yeah the end goal is different you're right you're right of course there's i mean and you mentioned the problem with beckinsdale having no motivation like her her bloodlust while I find it absolutely thrilling and engaging, and I loved every second of her, uh, that hunter's stare that she's got uh, on the screen, there's no reason for it at all. They just literally, like, they fused Laurie and Richter, and they brought Richter's anger along with mm-hmm. his, you know, side of the coin. Yeah. While forgetting that, well, in the 1990 version, he had, like, some some beef. <laughs> yeah. He had reason. <laughs> I think that the biggest plot hole plot hole i'm gonna call it a plot hole you you, you let me know in the non-director's cut so if you recall like and i know you didn't <laughs> see the non-director's cut ha, 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 and chris didn't see the director's cut but ethan hawk isn't in the normal version of this movie at all there is no mention of facial reconstruction nothing so colin farrell is hauser and quaid and she didn't know who he was but as soon as she's told who she was, he knows she knows everything about him. I know Hauser. He's this and that and the other. But you didn't really you've been like living with him for like a couple of months. Like you didn't recognize this guy who you suddenly know everything about. Like maybe they kept his picture a secret, but I, I don't I don't buy it. Like I, I had a problem with her freaking out when she learned who it was. I wonder if there's more to that that relationship that we don't get. 
Mm. Like outside of the director's cut, because I wish there was when I was watching it. I actually like I didn't really think about that. I was like, why is she just so dedicated to killing this guy? Yeah. But maybe she's just a zealot. You know, like she's a true believer in Cohagen's plan. I mean, that, she has the she has the line, "You're a traitor, and traitors deserve to die." Yeah, and so like she fair. We haven't really mentioned it, listeners, but in the 1990 version, they go to Mars. In this version, they go to Australia, which is kind of like Mars. <laughs> it's less and so, red. Like the idea is a, somehow a nuclear war, or you know, general climate change. You know. Biological war, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, according to the wiki, it's chemical warfare. Maybe I missed that line. The only place that you can live is the UK or the British Isles and parts of Northeast or Northwestern Europe and Australia. And the only way to get there from, I mean, the only way to explain is a elevator, right? Like, like a giant tube goes through the earth and then arrives somehow in Australia. Yeah. yeah. So like, and that's uh, like a symbol of oppression because the people who live in the colony can't, like, they don't have the technology or the money or the economy to have any sort of, like, way to get away from this, um, from the UFB, the United Federation of Britain. So maybe she really is just a true believer in Cohagen's plan. And, like, yeah, she doesn't know who Hauser really is because he's so deep cover, mm. right? Like, no one knows who he is except for Cohagen and Harry. And then the minute she finds out who he is... Maybe she gets briefed off screen. We just don't see it. And then she just goes on this murderous rampage. Or she thought she was in Underworld Awakening and didn't realize she was in Total Recall. So she just acted the same way. Okay, let's talk. Let's, let's, just, <laughs> let's just do it. Let's just do it. For one, the car- first cardinal sin. First cardinal sin in this movie. You're not Star Wars. You can't put words at the beginning of the film to get me into the universe. You can't set it up that way. There's no reason. Like there's so many other ways they could have told us and set up the world building besides text on the screen with cheap graphics. Second cardinal sin, space is your space. Literally like uh, the amount of space we have compared to the population is the biggest problem. That is the motivator. We need more space. So we're going to go kill all the Australians slash the colonists and take their space because we can, and that'll give us room to grow. And we'll replace the, the essential like wage slave labor we get la- labor. Yeah. Wage slave labor. We get from them with robots. Okay, fine. I buy into it, especially with earth. Like it's like an overpopulation thing, which we've seen before in other science fiction, but we've squeezed both the landmass and the people at the same time. Okay, cool. Then you tell me, that they have the technology to build a giant tunnel through the center of the earth. <laughs> I'm like, that's an infinite, um, like not infinite, but you could, they're like building all of their cities up and there's all these floating anti-grav buildings or whatever. It looks awesome. Like, hey, you could just dig. Like there's, you could just dig. You could have people live in mild, I don't know how, how far deep can you live? I don't know. But you you have it where they don't die when they go through the center of the earth. Although the, the, the graphic does have them go around the core. Like, Infinite amount of space. I've solved your problem. There's no need to kill anyone. Let's just let's just go. <laughs> I do think that Cohagen is a better character in this in the new one, or his role is better. Like in the first one, he the re- original, he's just some generic corporate leader who's villain. evil yeah. villain. And this one, he's the chancellor. He's the leader of a government, and he has evil intentions on on an enemy. So that makes more sense. But the like, I kind of bought Co- 1990 Cohagen's. I want more money and power better than Brian Cranston's. We need the space and we're going to kill all these people to get it when they have so many other ways to get it. 
I don't know. Well, I mean, they, they view them as subhuman, right? Like, there's even a line in this movie where Quaid applies for a job that he oh. has the experience for. Todd's going to learn about this scene right now for the first time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he applies for a job and he doesn't get it. And the only reason why he, I mean, the real reason why he doesn't get it is because they don't want him to get it. But the reason he's given is because he was born in the colony. Like he's not a, he's not a citizen of the UFB, so he doesn't get the job. And so they, they're viewed as subhuman, essentially. Outsiders, foreigners, yeah, there's a lot going on there. And there's a lot of, well, so to, to back it up, so in the director's cut, that scene is, re, so that scene of Quaid gets called into his boss's office and his boss talks to him about how he didn't get the job, even though he's qualified and he's very sorry. Instead, the whole assembly line gets called in to some random HR meeting where they meet with a member of the government who makes them sign a, a document saying that they're loyal to the UFB or whatever because they uh, because of the bombing. And Quaid has some has a line in there like, "Oh, you're you're making me do this because you don't trust me," or "Oh, I'm a second class citizen." Like it gives him a little bit more motivation. I was really okay. it was really interesting that they sw- swapped those two scenes out. I wasn't sure what the reasoning was. Okay, I think maybe the the one with his boss and the in the normal theatrical cut is maybe less on the nose that might have been why they did it it's a, it's mm. something everyone's been passed over for a promotion they should have gotten and so i think maybe it's a little bit more relatable but i don't know okay. i'm not an editor i got some i got some stuff a lot of it's just like kind of adding flavor to some points anthony's made already and i guess i don't want to just get too far away from him to, to where no. i feel like i'm completely circling back around. no 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 the best part about this podcast todd is we're just all over the place. There's right. no format. You just when do whatever we, when you we want. get in the weeds, one of us will tell the other person. Okay. Yeah, you do what you want, and then people listen. I don't know why they do it. So you know, we know. I mean, we should know that the director and Beckinsale are husband and wife. Underworld oh. is like their family business, pretty much. That that franchise. It's like Djokovic and Resident Evil movies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's no surprise he he you know he knows how to film her. Uh, that's that's a big reason why she looks so good in the film. Also, by the way, Bill Nye uh, is also shows up in Underworld One and Two, mm-hmm. so they've worked together. The thing about the thing too about combining Laurie and Richter because like it was a smart move, I think, because Richter being my favorite part of the first film, I think they really could have gone wrong by anyone trying to outdo Ironside. And so that's another reason I rode so hard for Beckendale in this, because as soon as I realized that that's what they were doing, I was like, ah, clever. You have cleverly avoided a pitfall that would have, you know, uh, made it very difficult for me to like this movie. And so I was kind of like very much on her side, you know, from from the get go. And then in my opinion, she delivered. I do want to mention that uh, action films have a long and glorious history of women attacking men's heads with their crotches. <laughs> and it's yeah. It's yep. not the greatest it's not it's not the greatest thing. It's it's nothing to super applaud necessarily, but this has got the best one ever. Did you catch this yeah. one? Well, when she slides into him from across Yeah, on her, her on her knees, her knees with her legs spread right into his face <laughs> where we get the almost f word in the theatrical cut. Mm. Yeah. I think that was beautiful, and and uh, if that's, it, we'll keep that one and get rid of all the other ones. That there one can stay in the in in. It was the film, done really well in the history. That whole of fight film. scene was done really well. I was really impressed with that fight scene. 
Yeah, she's a she's a really good action star. Yeah, and she's great. And he's he's holding his own. Comparing it to Sharon Stone versus Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm sorry, Sharon. Arnold would just <laughs> oh, destroy I know, right? you right away. He's like seven times your mass. No, like she your... was playing. She was playing tennis. She's an athlete. Here's another problem too, though, uh, and I think my actually my biggest complaint about the film, like plot hole, you might say, is pretty much the second he walks into recall, there's twenty. Strike force SWAT guys ready to bust in on the place. Ten minutes later, they can't find him at his freaking apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, like, you're you're giving I love I love seeing women in action roles. I really enjoy watching women kick butt, but the fact that she like completely holds her own or even is like superior fighter uh to him. After the way he just mopped the floor with the 20 guys, like, mm. like without breaking a sweat, really, really builds her up to, like, too high of a level. I want to mention here, one of my favorite fights between a man and a woman I've seen is in Fury Road with uh, Charlie Theron mm. versus what's-his-name. And the thing I liked about it so much, or Tom Hardy, is because, yeah, Tom Hardy, I mean, there's a reason women and men don't fight each other in the UFC. Sure. You know, it's just like muscle density and upper body strength and all that stuff. Now, of course, Charlie Theron is a proven real life badass. She's bigger than me. What I loved <laughs> about that fight scene so much is that they they respected my intelligence enough to handicap him in a way that I felt that they could go actually toe to toe. You know, he's basically handcuffed to an unconscious guy uh, and carrying a broken car door around with them. They set up that situation so that I could really feel that I'm watching this woman and this man fighting each other and and not think that they're, uh, oh, I kind of like fudging the numbers on the dice rolls. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, he also had a muzzle with a yeah. long right? chain that like they were pulling like the three, like four three or five of, wives of or that dude's wives are, yeah. were yanking on him. Yeah. Had lost a lot of blood. Oh, yeah. But in her defense, she had also lost one of her arms. Yeah, that's true. Like, even though it was a mechanical arm, it was still a limb. But yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. I'm going to add to your point a little bit. Uh, you brought up Fury Road. You said Charlize Theron, and I immediately thought of Atomic Blonde oh. and her fight scenes in that, which are just crazy. Amazing. Amazing. If you haven't seen that movie, I've... highly recommend. I do think, though, in this particular fight scene, to to maybe maybe give them some credence, she has two major fight scenes well, three fight scenes with Colin Farrell. And the first one, he's caught off guard. He doesn't want to hurt this person he thinks is his wife. Mm. That's very different than people pointing guns at you. I think that they do a good job of that. Like he's confused more than he is trying to kill her. The second fight scene in the elevator, she comes in unexpected and hits them faster than they can react and keeps hitting them and eventually bails because she knows like she can't keep doing that and leaves behind the explosive. So smart. So I, I thought both of those really add up. The last one is just the the kind of coda scene where they're fighting in the, uh, I guess, the ambulance tent, the ambulance. Did you say yeah. ambulance? Ambulance. Uh, <laughs> which is neither here nor there. I, I thought they handled it okay, but you're right. I mean, she is, they're very much relying on him not wanting to kill her. Um, but it is odd right after he just killed all those other people. Yeah, the 20 guys was just way overkill. Not thought through, I, I don't think. The 1990 movie had that too, right? Where he killed like five or six dudes, the construction workers that jumped him on his way home. Yeah, I think it was four. It was a group. It was a group of four men. Yeah. Okay. And there's only, there's not 20 SWATs. I think I think they say 20, and he says like, oh, it was more like 10. It was like four guys, <laughs> and one of them had a handgun. 
This was, this was yeah. like 20 shock troopers with assault rifles. That's a huge difference between a 1990 action film and a 2012 action film. And the 1991, <laughs> Arnold beats them because he is stronger than them and he overpowers these people. And in the new one, it's very much uh, Matrix or Equilibrium equilibrium uh, influenced in which he's like, I can be quick with a gun, ha ha ha. But he's not really beating anyone up. He's L's just- are, L's are just not your friend today. I know. <laughs> I've, been, I've been talking so much today. I have no water right now. It's been a whole thing. Pathetic. But it's more the gun kata thing. Like he's not actually- killing people with his bare hands in that scene he is just shooting them at different angles and avoiding bullets so it's a it's a bit of a different take i, I don't know i get all your points i'm just thinking about it out loud sure. what were you gonna say chris i'm sorry uh well i was just gonna say like it's it's the same situation it's fight or flight right mm. like we i think the difference is is the 90 version is this movie is longer it's 118 minutes the total the 1990 version i think is only 90 minutes oh really no, I'm, I'm sorry. It's 113. So they're both around the same length. But I feel like this movie lasted longer. Oh, it feels longer. I think that opening, or that, that opening scene, but the scene in which Arnold kills Harry and those three other guys happens really quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie doesn't waste, doesn't, doesn't waste time. Yeah. He's in shock as much as we are, because, like, he goes to recall... He gets in the, the altercation with the doctor and the sales guy or whatever, and then he leaves, and then he immediately commits four murders, right? Mm. I feel like the recall scene didn't happen as quick in this one, but still, it is a fight-or-flight sequence. A bunch of guys come in, kill the recall guy, and then he defends himself. And so he goes home, he's trying to explain to his wife what's going on. And then she immediately turns on him and surprises him the same way that Laurie did in the 1990. So I, I think that's part of it is, are they equals as much as he was like, he had so much mental heads, like bandwidth being used that he couldn't mm. process that his wife was attacking him. Right. But there's an escalation of threat in the 1991 sure. on a, on a nice smooth ramp. I mean, yeah. first you just, first you just have some scientists, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, then it's uh, you know, some coworkers acting really weird, and then all of a sudden it's your wife. Okay, weird, but you know, we're not fighting shock troopers. Sure. You know, until like the end of the movie, where here they just start the threat level at the top, mm -hmm. and then it's got yep. nowhere to go. I think that's a good point. Which is where I think I mean I remember typing to you guys like, when does this movie start getting bad? And I was right about the halfway point. And from then on, I w and I kept thinking about it, and I was starting to think like, okay, it's not that this movie is bad, but like, I'm starting to feel a big sense of like, oh, it's just going to be more of this all movie-ism. Mm. You know, with, with you know, like the, the first movie, it, it kind of swings and soars and it goes up in places, it changes locales, uh, stakes get changed, you know, focus is different, new characters get introduced in interesting ways. You know, by the end of the movie, this this just feels very flat and bland in tone, even though the adrenaline level is appreciably high. And then Anthony, uh oh, I want to get on the, in on this one. I'm so happy what you said about Melina turning from a badass into like a wet noodle. A as damsel, soon as, yeah. Yeah, as yeah. soon as a guy shows up. I woke up this morning, the first thought in my head was, I thought, a very interesting one. I suddenly thought, you know what? This movie is kind of the closing of a full circle from Terminator. You look at this movie and you can see, you could see, and I don't think it's thought, it's thought of by the director. I think Terminator is just so built into our DNA. 
when we think about, uh, you know, how to put together a science fiction story or something that has certain, certain elements, but, uh, you know, Laurie is the Terminator, mm. Quaid is Sarah Connor, and Melina is Reese. You know, and I was chewing on that through the day, and I knew there was something bugging me about the comparison of her to Reese that wasn't quite fitting. And you just completely nailed it when when you mentioned that thing about how you know they could have they could have left him as more of a Sarah Connor character. It would have been really interesting to me to to see that situation. But yeah. anyways, any thoughts on the Terminator comparison? I mean. Everything's Terminator when you think about it hard enough. I mean, it's, <laughs> someone, I say, it's someone relentlessly trying to kill you and you don't know what you did wrong. Yeah, you exist, right? That's the uh -huh. whole thing. It's the same idea. The thing that made me think of Jessica Biel's character as Melina kind of flipping sides is it, it, I encourage you to rewatch it because I've seen the movie twice in the last 24 hours. <laughs> oh, and, and you, you talked about the movie being longer. Sorry to go back to your point, Chris. The normal version of this movie is an hour 58 minutes. The extended cut is extended. It's two hours and 10 minutes. Mm. So it's an extra okay. 12 minutes. All but one part of it is better than the original. When they are, after the Harry scene, and they're running through the hallways to escape the Terminator, Lisa, Jessica Biel's character, every time they fall or stumble, Colin Farrell helps her up every single time. It is, it's annoying. Once I noticed it, it was, it was so annoying to watch. I was like, this is horrible. Like, I, I, I just did not like it at all. But no, I, li I like the, the Terminator reference. Like, you have an unstoppable force coming at you for no reason other than you exist. That's all you know. Uh, it, it's very, I, I never, I don't think I ever really thought about, even we're watching the 1990 version, it has kind of the same idea where you're being chased and you don't know why, but everything else is, is very different. I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Chris? I mean, I see it like it. it I Todd, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't necessarily think it's like the whole idea of the Terminator itself, but any relentless force, yeah? Like not just like an unstoppable killing machine, but just something that's trying to get you. Is that mm -hmm. is that what you're saying? Okay. Like I can see it, it except the, the only problem is, is that it's more, I, I think it more aligns with Terminator 2 because Hauser slash Quaid is is a badass in and of himself yeah like mm. he's he's the t800 and laurie is the t1000 but then jessica veal is like she's not even sarah connor like <laughs> like like even yeah. like even even if we were to use the terminator comparison like she i, I don't even really like i see the carl reese comparison and i don't disagree with your point but carl reese was effective right up into the moment in which he died everything that he did was yeah. to prevent sarah connor from perishing uh, the problem is Melina, she drives a car and then that's it. Like, that's all she does in this movie. She gets she gets goaded into going into a hallway, an empty hallway with gunmen at the other end of the hallway. Yeah. She gets insulted oh, right. <laughs> into making a stupid decision. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, I'm going to kill this. One. What? Yeah. Who are yeah. you? Yeah. Like, it's a poor execution on the concept, but yeah. 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 Uh, here's, I, I, yeah. Here's one just to, to waste another minute of, of the audience's time. <laughs> In Terminator 2, Sarah Connor, uh, like her arc is that she realizes that she's the bad guy and she has to make a decision, a conscious decision to stay on the good side of things, just like Quaid. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, all right. That's a, uh, I'm going to let you have it because you're the guest host, but if Chris said that shit. <laughs> I actually, I have a separate comparison for this movie and, and this one, this one's going to be a deep cut. Okay. This movie came out on August... Third, 2012, there was a video game that re was released that same year, February 21st, called Syndicate. Ooh. 
Okay. They are both widely panned remakes of cyberpunk classics from the 90s. And I feel like they are both kind of the same. A lot of flash, very little substance. I liked Syndicate. Oh, I like Syndicate too. But I mean, it's probably shorter than this movie. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like they just—it's just kind of like a like a lot of in your face, like oh, here's the science fiction, like that's something this movie does really well, which the 1990 movie suffered only because of its era, right? Like if if you remake the 1990 movie, like I don't want to say exactly the same, but you give it all the same beats, you don't change Mm -hmm. anything. It's a much bigger and flashier movie because of the budget. Yeah, sure. Which kind of defeats Paul. Which kind of defeats Paul Verhoeven's point of you know. But anyways, but this movie like is so intense. Like we have the flying cars that like that hover. The freeway scene was really cool. Like the guns, the robots, the tech, like we talked about the fall or the elevator that goes to the earth. The science fiction is all up in your face, but there's no science fiction. It's presenting you with this world like, hey, check out this rad world that we've created. Mm -hmm. But it's just an action movie. Um Besides the memory wiping thing, I guess. Well, but what I'm saying is like the science fiction is face off stuff. It's um, all it is, is uh, it's surface level. Like the science fiction is all on the surface. Everything else is just, it's just a veneer for an action. It's movie. dressing. Yeah. Just like the 2012 that. syndicate video game. Yeah. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. I want to bring up something. Another difference between the extended cut and the normal cut. Okay. I love that I watched both thinking that I was going to be the only one who watched the director's cut, but it's actually better that y'all each watch a different version of this movie. I think it's fantastic. (laughs) In the normal version of the movie, I don't know who to address, Todd. uh, In the normal version of the movie, Jessica Biel's character, Melina, is not Matthias's daughter. She's just some random lieutenant. There's no connection between the two of them whatsoever. Chris, in the extended version of this movie... Jessica Bill's character, Melina, <laughs> is Matthias's daughter. And Quaid was actually, uh, or Hauser actually went undercover. Cohagen talks about, oh, we found out she was his daughter. We sent Hauser after her in particular. Like that was part mm. of the plan. Like it adds okay. this whole other layer of stuff. Mm. That whole scene, like the um, with them trying to get in the brain is a little bit different. The, the one thing that I think that the theatrical cut did better is because uh, this movie still suffers from the same thing we all complained about in the 1990 version. Cohagen gives his villain speech and then walks out of the room and leaves <laughs> Quaid to murder everyone. In the Well, this time he had an insider. It was a little different. Yeah, yeah a little bit. He did have an insider helping him uh, in Hammond. But in the at least, uh, the, the little bit that I, I liked in the theatrical cut is Cohagen says that this process will take a few hours. So I'm gonna let you do it. Like he acknowledges, like I'm oh, not okay. gonna stand around here for several hours. He actually doesn't say that in the director's cut. He just goes, "All right, y'all have fun." Mm. Like he does in the 1990. I was like, "That's weird." Like that's <laughs> such a disconnect from what, what what eventually started seeing. So there's like little differences there. And Cohagen's plan to take out Matthias. Like you're right. Like I guess like they had to change his face in order to to go undercover. And then when it wasn't working, they wiped his memory in order to make the resistance come save him. So that and he and then they had the the safe as they called it in the extended cut, but the the code in his brain in the in the but, normal one. To, but why to do? Because it's convoluted no, and it's they're but, remaking Total Recall. But he he's a he's a spy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why does he need to have his face changed if he's an undercover agent? Like, well, that's do, yeah. Are people in like are there resistance agents inside the UFB? Well, probably. Well, Hammond was right. That's true. 
they mention he mentions in both versions, I believe, that Cohagen was his commanding officer in quote the war. So his face is mm. out there somewhere. He's a former you. soldier. There's, there's people. If they were sense. trying to vet him. He's out there, right? I don't know the whole thing. Okay, let's let's just let's just get to it. Should they have just gone to Mars? Oh, good question. Um, wow, that's a tough one. Or the moon, or or some sort of celestial body. I think it would have been better. I don't think I would have known that it was better in the planning room. You know, I don't think I would have raised my hand and say, "Hey, guys, we can't just stay on Earth the whole time." Because what's going to happen is we're going to end up with a movie where every location looks like every other location. And you would not be able to, like, show anybody a random, you know, shot of the movie and see anything appreciably different than anything else, uh, you know, from, from nose to tail. And that's something that, you know, Total Recall 1990 really does, you know. The new one, you're, it does try to have, like, more believable science. And that they're on Earth and blah, 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 except for the tunnel through it, whatever. But the whole, like, going to Mars and that being an excuse for mutants, I guess, like, in their effort to make it more believable, they killed the dream, right? Yeah. Like, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Like, that was what made the 1990 version so interesting and so unique was the sets and the mutants and, oh, we can, your eyeballs are going to blow out of their sockets if you walk outside. I mean, I am really happy that there wasn't an alien air generator that uh, created an atmosphere in <laughs> That's like, true. six minutes five, flat. Yeah, no aliens. Than, yeah. I mean, I'll play devil's advocate for a second. All right. I actually didn't mind them being staying on Earth because it adds to the dystopia, right? It all like it still folds in on the whole cyberpunk genre, which is a post-technology boom world in which very like very much now <laughs> in which very few not only control like everything but like there's no real upward mobility except it's just in the future right like um ghost in the shell is a great example mm. of a great science fiction cyberpunk dystopian like world where they're on earth but everything's just so alien and I think that the the I'm gonna I was about to call them Guardians <laughs> from Code Eight, but the the mechs are like I think actually work better being on Earth because they are alien to humans, right? Sure. Like yeah, instead of it being a mutant, someone that you can like look down upon and spit on and say, "Ugh, mutants! You shouldn't go to Venusville. That's where the mutants are." Instead, it's like let's you don't go to the colony because that's where the that's a bunch of um subhuman people live and in fact they're so subhuman that we're not even going to kill them with other humans we're not going to sully ourselves mm. exterminating them we're going to send in mindless faceless automatons who are going to eradicate this entire continent of people okay I, I think it folds just more into the the actual science fiction the more cyberpunk environment all that being said i would have rather gone to mars <laughs> <laughs> so two things how dystopian is your future if you have a full fridge. <laughs> and two, the APR, I don't know if you all saw the the APRs that were being advertised in the background of this movie. 15.9% for credit. And I was like, that is lower than, like that's lower <laughs> than most credit cards now. And they said 15.9 or 20, 25.9 uh, on the high end. And I'm like, that's still lower than most credit cards <laughs> right now. So how dystopian really are we talking there? Yeah, Fair I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to do you want to talk about these actors a little bit more? Sure. Okay. I will pick 
Brian Cranston. I want to talk about Brian Cranston. So 66 as of today, as of uh, June 28th, just turned 66. His birthday is March 7th. Where are we on Cranston these days? Like, so from what I'm reading in his filmography here. Did you guys watch Malcolm in the Middle? Well, I was going to say, I did not. I've seen a good bit of it. You missed out. It's a damn funny show. So he's got 165 acting credits as of today, which is a significant amount for someone who's 66 years old. Got his big break, it looks like, in Airwolf. You think that's his big break? Or Loving. Well, he had eight credits on a TV show in 1983, which I would just go ahead and assume that that would be his big break, but did a bunch of stuff. Blah, 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 blah. And like a lot of television, you know, but I mean, he's a television actor for the most part. We already talked about Malcolm in the Middle a little bit. Had a couple of appearances on The Louis Show, Murder, She Wrote. He was on Babylon 5, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Seinfeld over the course of three years. Uh, Eagle Riders, I have no idea what that is, but 64 credits on that, which is pretty cool. Uh, voice acting. So some cartoon from the mid 90s. And then X-Files, Chicago Hope, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. And then that's when his career really starts to take off. He was in Clerks, King of Queens, and then obviously Malcolm in the Middle. Did you say Clerks? The yeah. TV show. Yeah. The TV show Clerks. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. But I really didn't even know who he was. Thinking back on it now, I didn't know Brian Cranston existed until Breaking Bad. I have gone back and watched several episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. In fact, I think my favorite episode is the speedrunning episode, which is one of the dumbest things I've ever watched. Uh, hysterical, but very dumb. But like, I, if you just look at his career from like 2007 till today, till 2022, like he's just in so many things. And I think that's really cool. I think that's really impressive. Um, great actor. Not a big fan of his action sequences in this movie, but I mean, he's old, so. Yeah. He slashes when he could have stabbed. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, wasn't, wasn't a fan. Wasn't a fan there. I mean, I think he, he works as a villain for me, uh, not as well as Ronnie Cox, but I mean, he's still, I think I did think they picked the right actor for Cohagen because I do think he does chew up the scenes that he's in. I mean, you guys can talk about Colin Farrell all you want. I don't think he's a very good actor. If you listen to our episode on Artemis Fowl, you'll know everything you need to know about how I feel about Colin Farrell. But I think he's the best actor in this movie, bar none. Yeah, I, have a, I just have one note on Cranston in this movie. Uh, mentioned in the 1990 version, we have scenes that are outside of Quaid's perspective. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I think someone said, let's let's not do that so we can preserve more of the dream theory. That's kind of a shame because I mm, I wanted to see more Brian Cranston like leading up to when when he does show up in this movie. Um, I kind of I kind of didn't really feel connected to him as as a villain, even though he does fine on screen. That was a complaint we had about the last one was that, oh, well, of course, it's not a dream because we have views outside right. of Arnold's. But uh, now but now, but I now see, that we have it <laughs> now, now I see what you're trading out. You know. We're the we're like the dog that caught the car. Like, oh, I probably okay. All right, right. This is what you wanted. This, this is, is what, what we wanted. Um, also, yeah, I really didn't need to see him in an action scene. <laughs> I do like the way he dies. That's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good take on the falling from a great height. He goes hurtling down in the elevator into the core and yeah, gets burned up. Speaking of which, I would have preferred. I didn't like Beckinsale showing up. You know, for a a final bite at the apple yeah. uh, at the end. And uh, even before I'd gotten there, or when I, I guess at the part where I thought she'd died, 
I thought a really good way to kill her would have been to have her body sheared in half by the falling elevator. Ooh. Just like Richter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly how to frame it, but it would have been a great callback to the way Richter goes out. I think you've got that massive elevator. I think you hate her enough to uh, really enjoy a truly <laughs> horrific end to her. And it could it could have been even like a great twofer. Like, you know, she could have died that way. Like as the elevator's going down, Cranston's on the top, you know, we get her sheared off and then boom, he's dead too. You get the you get the double whammy. I like it. Double kill. Which, like I said in the first one, I I don't necessarily like uh, movies where they have this string of mini-bosses that we have to roll through and take care of each one individually. It feels too much like padding. I'd have felt perfectly happy seeing two, pe- two people meeting completely different, awesome ends by the same device. Mm-hmm. That would have gotten a thumbs up for me. Todd, I 100% agree. But I also think, to go back to my very first point, the movie's not rated R. Can we chop somebody in half? I don't know. <laughs> like, they had to do that PG thirteen. I mean, you could have shown like her, like her, her legs. I guess they. I mean, they did episode one, right? Like Darth Maul gets cut in half. You do some kind of shot where you know from below where you mm-hmm. can see she's. You know, for some reason she's got to get across the thing or whatever. You know, <laughs> that's why her body's extended out. You show her from below. You see the thing coming, and then you you just got to do a quick shot of uh, from behind her legs. I, I think. Yeah. You just jump, you just jump cut to like right before he sees Melina again. Yeah. And it's like, where's Lori? And then, uh, they kind of just pan over and you just see her legs. Like kind of like, um, the wizard of Oz with that, with the, <laughs> ha- the witch on the house, <laughs> smashed by the house. All yeah. you see is her legs sticking out. That's all you get. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that worked. What, um, what actor do you want to talk about Todd and why is it Kate Beckinsale? I feel like I've said enough about her, honestly. Yeah. I feel like we kind of have. The hair is uh, impractical, generally speaking. I'd rather see my female combatants in sensible shoes and without their hair hanging down in their eyes. But she just looks so good, you know? I I, I forgive it. Best best part of the movie, la 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 la. But utterly without motivation. How did you like her accent switch as soon as she was no longer undercover, switching from the oh, American to the I British Oh, I did like accent. that. I forgot about that, but I was I was a fan. Yeah, I liked it. I actually hated that Colin Farrell, that Quaid didn't react to it. He's just like, oh, yeah, that's how my wife talks now. I'm like, no, that was awesome. Like the transition from her her character playing a character to being herself was was really, really well done. I uh, think they, they played in that pretty well. She is definitely typecast, but I don't think she's upset about it. And I don't think her fans are upset about it. And her being that leading intense action, you know, like it, you just doing all of the tropey things, but and, it's, uh, and it might be you know oh, weirdly enough, gonna... weirdly enough, I checked, I checked her, uh, I checked her wiki. Before, I don't think she's typecast before all, we came actually. on here, so. and she's got. I mean, she does, she does do the thing you're talking about for sure, and she's mastered that, and that's her bread and butter. But yeah, I, that's what people I know see her that she's for. in. I see that she's in like a handful of like what look like more like uh romantic comedy kind of kind of bits sure. uh including one that I think got her an award like of yeah. some kind. I would counter by saying that Arnold Schwarzenegger still made Jingle All the Way. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, so I mean if if you just if you just look at her IMDb <laughs> filmography, like if you just look at films. Sure. Much to do about nothing, which is not an action movie. No. <laughs> the Last Days of Disco, which has a great movie poster itself, but Serendipity, Tiptoes, it's only right around like the early aughts, uh, Underworld, Van Helsing, Underworld Again, 
but then there's click underworld again <laughs> underworld again uh, snow angels nothing but the truth winged creatures white out contraband underworld again and then total recall i mean i liked her enough in this that i actually i do plan to go and revisit the underworld films i remember liking the first one being confused by this being confused enough by the second one to not go any further but i might i might take another stab at it her last movie came out last year 2021 jolt a bouncer with a slightly murderous anger management problem that she controls with the help of an electrode lined vest she uses to shock herself back to normalcy whenever she gets homicidal. It's not listed as sci-fi, but it feels pretty sci-fi. We might check yes. it out. That's like it's like crank it's Amazon, That sounds like crank. Yeah. It's an Amazon Prime original. And yes, it does sound like crank, but it's oh my Kate God, sign me up. I think she's only most recently become quote unquote typecast as an action star. 48. She's 48. Yeah. She's, she's got she's plenty left in her. Time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just, I, when I think people say they like Kate Beckinsale, they're not talking about serendipity. Okay. Right. Like, I wonder, that's what I, yeah. How dare I you. wonder, and I want to do some, <laughs> some research in on like how, like how well she's regarded as like an on-screen martial artist by, by serious people, you know? Oh Yeah. Is she anywhere in the league of like Keanu Reeves and Shirley's Theron, or is she more like uh, Matt Damon, uh, where it's it's all in the art of the of the of movie the making? Yeah, uh, I I recently I'm going back and uh, I'm about to get on a uh, a Michelle Yeoh like old school <gasps> movie kick, like talking about female lead actors so who just know their stuff as far as the actual martial arts. Fantastic. Okay, well I'm going to talk about her because uh, no one else brought her up. Let's talk about Jessica Biel. I made a joke earlier about how I'd forgotten she existed, and that was only a mild joke. Looking at her her credits, she, she has 49 acting credits, including multiple credits from this year. She's in two different TV shows. She does her own voice, a voice of herself and a couple of different things. I know she was in BoJack Horseman. That's probably the most the biggest thing she's been in the last four or five years looking at this. Uh, she was in a Justin Timberlake music video as herself. Well... I think she took a few years of act off of acting because I think she Which and JT years? decided to start a family. I'm scrolling through. She's got four or five credits from six, seven, oh eight, oh nine, ten, only two, but they're Valentine's Day and, and the A Team. Uh, 2011, she only has one. 2012, the year this came out, it has four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm yeah. not disagreeing with you, yeah. but I mean, we just talked about Brian. Like, if you look at Brian Cranston's filmography. Yeah different it's expansive like every year there's multiple projects and i and like i think i now pronounce you chuck and larry i think was the worst thing that she ever could have done for herself because it vaults her into this weird space oh she's a she's an actor in an adam sandler movie of i think she's a great actress i i believe her like i really do like i i i can't yeah. think of anything that she's ever been in where i was like oh my gosh she's a significant upgrade from the 1990 melina yeah. Oh, for Sig sure. Significant. And they actually have a little bit of chemistry here. They do. They have some decent chemistry. I watched Seven he Seventh Heaven in the late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s. Of course you and did. I, well, I watched whatever TV my mom had on because that's, that's you know, because I was 12. And I have a hard time not seeing her as that character. In 2005, she was in the movie Stealth, where she's like a fighter pilot. And the year after uh, Seventh Heaven ended, she's in, um, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. And then she does like this spattering of action movies, the A-Team, Total Recall. I don't think I buy her in action movies. Like I I don't like her performance and I don't think she holds the 
She has the right, and I'm not using the right terms because I'm not an actor. I'm just a, a self-made critic. She doesn't have the right feel, the right aura, the right gravitas. She doesn't. She plays a damsel in this movie, more or less. Like, I, I guess I just don't quite buy it. Now, as a love interest for Colin Farrell and their chemistry together, you're absolutely right. It's a huge upgrade from the Melina of the 1990 version, who's a stripper, essentially, a prostitute. <laughs> uh, like, I, that's uh, it? Yeah. She's, she's a lady of the night. She's a sorry. <laughs> she's a lady of the night on the part of the planet where it's always night. And oh, so like God. she's definitely contributing more here, not just in the plot. I, I actually I'm a little upset that she's not Matthias's daughter in the theatrical cut because it does add a lot. Like it kind of it, it sews up a few holes for me about why she in particular is there and why she was targeted by Quaid and and and, uh, and uh, not Quaid but Hauser. Like I said, it's just I have a, I have some qualms with her performance. I can't really nitpick them, and it could just be some personal bias that I'm bringing in from from older performances. She's obviously uh, still a working actress, still doing well. I don't think she's a bad actress overall. Maybe she just makes bad choices. Blade Trinity, that's the one. That's the one where I was like, mm. Yeah, you're not you're not you're not gonna win any argument if you bring up Blade Trinity ever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like ever. No argument's gonna be won if you say Wait, that. either way. Either way. I love that movie because it introduced me to Ryan Reynolds in an action film. Uh and that's it. Anthony, I just uh I just listened to your guys' most recent episode this morning. So I'll be referencing here something the audience already heard a, a week ago. But I really, really think that your reason for not seeing Sin City is awesome. It's a great, it's a great reason. It's, it's the only, it's the only possible acceptable reason. Oh, the, uh, um, the reason being that, uh, too many people have told me to watch it, telling them I haven't upsets them. So I'm just never going to do it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the reason. I mean, it didn't upset me. I mean, you're the one. (laughs) Well, that's because you've been, you've been conditioned over 20 plus years to know that. No, I haven't seen that film. Interesting. Interesting. I hope I'm not going to trigger a similar reaction if I tell you you should read the comics. I should. Oh, um, I would actually probably do that before I, I, uh, I watched it. The problem is finding time to read, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I mean, what, what you, what you could do is condense it all down into like 90 minutes and then film it. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I used to have a joke that I, I don't read. I don't read books because that might ruin the movie. So let's let's round this out. We don't need to talk about all the the sub actors or what have you or side or uh, let's just talk about Colin Farrell for a minute. Is that is that fair? Can we do sure, that? Sure, I guess. Yeah, if we can. If we if have we to. have to. Yeah. Uh, Sixty four credits. Is that the number that you expected me to say? I mean, I knew I knew that was going to be the number. Yeah, it feels low. I you told me he like I feel like south of a hundred feels low for Colin Farrell. Like I feel like he's a big enough name and he's been around for long enough. I don't hate Colin Farrell. I'm not Chris. That being said, the only movie that I have seen with him in it that I really really liked that I can never pronounce is In Bruges. It's In Bruges. In Bruges. Bruges. In Bruges. Bruges. I love that film. I love him in it. Uh, otherwise. How how did you like his American accent? Is that not his real American accent? No, he's not American. He's Irish. He's Irish. I watched all the. Um, I didn't watch all of them, but I watched a lot of the little featurettes on the like the DVD extras and like seeing him in his his Quaid costume speaking with his normal Irish accent was weird. Like it, it kind of took me out of it for a moment. This came up when we were doing the Red Sparrow mm. film, which also has Colin Farrell, but not the reason I'm bringing this up. Because we were talking about... I talked uh, about accents quite a bit. J-Law's accents. Yeah. And I think I... Yeah, that was in a Freudian slip when I said accents, plural. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just occurred to me when we were talking about that, that 
you know, I always hear people of other nationalities with non-American accents constantly criticizing it when, you know, people step into their realm. I've never, I've never, I've never heard an American accent where I said, that doesn't sound, that's, that's not right. Have you ever watched Sons of Anarchy? (laughs) Or seen Jurassic Park? Let's ignore Jurassic Park for a minute, but have you ever watched Sons of Anarchy, the motorcycle gang uh, show? It was on uh, FX or whatever. I watched a season when it it came out. Jax? Oh man. Like I, you're, his accent is vaguely American and vaguely Southern, but it doesn't match anyone else in the show. Like it's because he's British of some sort. I don't not. I don't actually remember. Okay, he went on to play King Arthur. Like, and that worked. Sure, sure, sure. I don't know. To me, to me, I always, I always just figure. I don't know. That's that's how they talk. That's what they sound like. Yeah, it works. I think like American culture is so pervasive that or if you're English speaking, you can easily do an American accent because you're watching American movies, oh, TV that's, shows, that type of thing. That's true. I've uh, that came up with uh, Matthew Reese. Have you ever heard that guy? Uh, speaking his, uh, I think it's like a Welsh no. kind of accent. Oh my God. All right. You know who Matthew Welsh Reese is? Welsh is a harsh right? accent. Welsh is. Y- y- yeah. yeah. You know who Reese is, right? Yeah. From the, from the Americans? No, no I, I just said, just... I just said yes okay. to with their own bot at the wall. <laughs> his accent is insanely thick. You and his American is perfect. It's, it's absolutely really? perfect, which would completely blow your mind if you, if you saw them side by side. Uh, but he says exactly what you did. He's like, well, I grew up, I mean, I grew up watching American TV. We yeah. grew up as kids playing cops and robbers and saying lines from films, like literally from yeah. childhood. Yeah. If I'm quoting John Wayne my entire life. I'm going to sound like John Wayne. Right. Yeah. I've for, <laughs> literally from childhood, I've, I've been trained to uh to be able to do an american accent exactly uh, i mean there's there's two really terrible examples benedict cumberbatch uh, like it's i just can't believe it i really can't like if you watch in the last uh, one no really what's that movie it's not not black christmas let's see benedict cumberbatch johnny depp black mass what is it Black Mass, Black where he Mass. plays a Boston state, like a Massachusetts state senator. Like, it's pretty awful. And then Tom Hardy. I love Tom Hardy, the actor. Just can't do an American accent to save his life. But that's his thing. Like, I love Tom Hardy. He just does weird accents in most movies. It's just kind of strange. He dives into it a little bit too much. I think that part of it, there's so many, like, this is going to make me sound ignorant, but I'm, but I've, I've been all over the world. Do it. Listeners. Do it. America is so big. Like, Todd, you live in California, yeah? Yep. Okay. I've lived in Texas for almost 30, of uh, more than 30 years at this point. Anthony, how long have you lived in Texas? 17 years. And you're from the Midwest, yeah? I'm from Texas. No, no. Well, you said you lived here for 17 years. Oh, I grew up a military kid. I just Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but where'd you live before, like your formative years? Mixture. Mostly Midwest, you're right. But East Coast, yeah. uh, Midwest, the South, the right side of America, geographically speaking. I don't necessarily think that I sound like a Texan when I'm talking, but there are certain words that I use that definitely when the accent comes out. Oh, sure. Like the same thing with Anthony and, and for you, Todd, um, I, don't take this the wrong way, but I knew you were from California. The, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> the, I know. The very first time I heard your pod. And now that being said, like just like in England, there's people from North Ireland, there's people from South Ireland, there's people from Scotland, there's people from people from London don't sound the same as people from Cornwall. That's right. Yeah. But the amount of like actors in America is so much more just from what I've seen. Like I've seen foreign films or foreign language films, but I've seen so many more films that were made 
in America by people who speak English who have been speaking English their entire life, as far as I can tell. So like, I actually have talked to this to, uh, about this with Anthony before. I wish they wouldn't even do it. I really don't. There's a show that came out called Resolute with um, Stanley Tucci. Have you ever uh, have you seen it? They're in Antarctica. Long story. Stanley Tucci is an American, but he's a British detective. And when he gets there, he starts talking like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you were a British detective. And he's like, yeah, I am. And then they just move on. Like it's never addressed. Now, the, the actors that get it right, I don't necessarily mind. But I, I, if you can't do the accent, just don't do the accent. Mm. Like hand wave it. Here's a movie. Hand wave Here's it. a movie for you. Uh, <laughs> the Death of Stalin. Did you see that one? I don't think so. I do recommend it. It's a very, very black comedy about, you know, immediately after Stalin's death, uh, his inner circle scrambling to uh, get control of things. It's Steve Buscemi, Jeffrey Tambor, and I don't know his name, but you guys will know him. Uh, He was the captain on Discovery. Yeah, I'm looking at the list right here. Jason Isaacs. Yeah, Jason Isaacs. And You're so right, they're all playing. They're all playing Russians. They're playing literally like. Well, now I'm blanking on names like Khrushchev. Yeah, yeah Khrushchev like that. Yeah. And they completely made the decision to just have everyone speak in their normal voices. Steve Buscemi yeah. is just being Steve Buscemi, and Jeffrey Tambor <laughs> is just being Khrushchev. Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> no, no attempt at Russian accents whatsoever, and it absolutely works uh, so well. And it's much the the comedy I think is much better for it. So oh, yeah. there's there's an example of a successful a successful application of the Chris method. Yeah. Like The Hunt for Red October is a great example oh, yeah. <laughs> of an actor who just didn't care. Like, oh, you're Lithuanian? One ping only, please. John you know, Wayne. Like he just he just doesn't care. John Wayne and Genghis Khan. Yeah. yeah he just Back to Colin Farrell. Sorry, talking about Colin Farrell. <laughs> 64 credits, I think, is the proper amount because I don't think he's actually that good of an actor. Like Okay. If I were to say the name Colin Farrell to you, just like out of context, what's the first movie that you would think of? Well, I already mentioned you know what I mean? Uh Well, he was just in the Batman, and I didn't even know it was him for the entire film. For me, it would be SWAT. I don't. I never saw <laughs> SWAT. <sighs> He's Bullseye in the uh, uh, the cruddy Daredevil movie. Yeah, that was weird. He's Jesse James in American Outlaws in two thousand and one. I, I think like, his thing is that he. I think he's kind of a character actor. Like he he goes after these roles that are challenging. Like I read in the trivia for for this movie for Total Recall, uh, since I'm sure the audience has forgotten what we're actually talking about, that he he slept on set one night, like leading into it, because he wanted to know what it would be like to wake up in the future, wake up in that world. Oh, that's like he's right. very yeah. like not. I don't know if that's method because it's not. He's not Daniel Day Lewis. He's definitely like an actor. Right, like yeah, he's in it. I get that. He's in it, and so as the leading man in an action film in a role that was previously held by one of the action greats, like he, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, is in everyone's. It'd be hard to find somebody who says that they're not in their. He's not in their top five action movie stars. It's really maybe top two or three, especially if you talk about the heydays of eighties and nineties action. Like who, who would you say is bigger than Schwarzenegger? I mean, Stallone. I mean, if you're me, you say Stallone because that's where my loyalties lie. But who else is there that survived? I mean, Van Damme. Like, Van Damme. I mean, it's not. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah. Not Van Damme, All right. Not Van Damme. I was going to give it to you because I guess Bloodsport does exist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wasn't there a new Bloodsport with his daughter? Anyways, we're getting in the weeds again. I don't know who they should have put in this role. I don't know if Colin Farrell was the right choice, but I also don't know who is the right choice. So I can't really judge it. Is that if that makes 20, sense? So in 2012, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Besides let's see. Jason Statham. 
No, because they need someone who can actually act for this role. Uh, let's see. All right, all right, all right, Jason. You're an act, you're playing this character, but you're actually another character. No reaction. No reaction. Uh, let's see. 2012 films that came out in 2012. Let's just look real quick. Go ahead, Todd. Give us your Colin Farrell take. You know, I I really just seem to have accidentally dodged him as an actor. Uh, I got <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing to go on except Red Sparrow in this. Was he in Red Sparrow? Are you sure? Yeah, he's, he's the CIA agent. I don't think that's him. Let's see. Uh oh. Channing Tatum. Let me look. Channing Tatum. Oh, Channing. Channing Tatum. It can't. Might be too I thought young. you said you wanted people that could act. He might be too young. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh Jesus, that's Joel Edgerton. Okay. Joel Edgerton got a reference on the Sci-Fi Wise Guys podcast for the seventeenth time. Does that count? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I I know why I could make that mistake because both yeah. Colin Farrell and Joel Edgerton were for a long, the longest time at the exact level of the number of times I'd heard them mentioned versus the zero amount of times I'd ever seen them. Colin Farrell was in Seven Psychopaths the same year this came out. He's as a lead, and he's fantastic in that film. I would not replace him in Seven Psychopaths. I I think he does the action fair well enough, but I, I don't know if he just has the gravitas, the blend of it to to really do it. But it's 2012, right? Oh, here here we go. Oh, Chris Evans. He was in the Avengers oh. the same in the same year. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Wow. Any of the Chris's. Wow. Thanks, any, man. Any any uh, Chris. Any see. Chris could have done it. Anybody anybody named Chris. <laughs> Anyone named Chris. Thirty percent of America. Oh, okay. Oh no, I've got him from Alexander the Great. Yeah, I thought he was doing awesome him any favors. <laughs> but not doing him any favors. Character yeah. acting, right? Like he's not he's not playing the everyman. I, I mean, he is an actor. Yeah. Like he really is. I think he's classically trained, if I remember correctly. I mean, I could look it up real quick. No, uh, but I think he is a classically trained actor. I just don't think he's very good. Okay. No, that's fair. I mean, like, I just, everything that he's in, I feel like you could just replace him. So, I okay. Don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like, I don't know if he, I don't know if you watch baseball, Todd, but I feel like he's, he's got a value above replacement actor. Yeah. There's no, I mean, there's, there's no Colin Farrell formula or magic. There's no, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he can hit his marks and give his lines and reasonably, he's reasonably good. Ooh, Jamie Foxx. Oh, Jamie Foxx would have been a good choice. Yeah. Nicholas Cage. Who is Kelsey Grammer? Douglas Quaid. <laughs> Brought it back. They could have given Richard Dreyfus another stab at it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's there see. KG in uh, Total Recall. He's obviously Cohagen. Uh, if you're going to put Kelsey Grammer in 2012 Total Recall, he plays Cohagen. I'm sorry, Cranston. It's Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. I don't know. I think he might be, be a really good Harry. Like, he would, like, like, like not, not trying to take away worker? Bo Keem's job away from him, but I feel like if old, old Kelsey Grammer, like, pretending to be a factory worker, I think would be pretty funny. My second choice would be to replace the recall guy. Shows oh, up John for Cho. one scene, <laughs> and just, and he's super uh, eclectic, and then dies right away. I'm like, why was Kelsey Grammer in this movie? And that's, that's a bigger question than what is real. What's yeah. not? Is it real or is it recall? Yeah. Yeah. Who would you, Todd, putting you on the spot? Uh -oh. You have to cast Kelsey Grammer in this movie. Who do you replace? He he can oh, he can replace he can, any character. Any character could be Kelsey Grammer. Absolutely Cohagen. Yeah. Yeah. I think Cohagen's the, the right answer. Yeah. Evil evil Kelsey yeah. Grammer is is awesome. Yeah. He has actually made movies worse because of how good he is in them. That's been my opinion <laughs> on this podcast. Because the, all the other actors can't keep up. Because uh, he's so good. And we brought back the Kelsey Grammer bit. Did not mean to do that. 
that was not in yeah. the cars. You guys should Google the uh, Frasier trailer, the 2022 Frasier trailer. Not right now. And I can't say anything about it. You should <laughs> just check it out. We'll do that later. Do you have an idiot of the movie? If we're going to bring back old bits. Uh, did that? Did we ever kill that bit? I mean, we haven't We haven't had it in like 10 episodes or so. Oh. I, I don't... I. So, like, so Todd, in terms of idiot of the movie, it's literally anyone who just does something really dumb. I've, I've got a couple of personal uh, guidelines for the for, for this award, but I'm not. I won't share them until after I give my. Uh, no, completely up to you. Whoever you think is the biggest idiot. Yeah. Whoever came up with the idea, and I don't know if it's the Ooh. character that came up with the idea, but whoever came up with the idea to tell Quaid that the way he needs to prove that he wants to come back to reality is shoot Jessica Beale. <laughs> so Harry, I want. We'll give that to Harry, yeah. Okay, you can give it to Harry, or maybe yeah. Lori, because Lori's pulling all the strings at that point, right? Yeah, I can't give her idiot to the movie because because uh, I like fair, her too fair much. Enough, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> I have a screenshot for who I think the idiot of the movie is. Are you ready? Okay, man? share it. Not Brian Cranston, but the guy right over his right shoulder who has the gun on Colin Farrell the whole time. <laughs> and Brian Cranston gets in a fight and then gets separated. And then Jessica Beale shows up and they all wait for her helicopter to come out of the ground mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever and slowly shoot them. No one shot Quaid in the head that whole time. So it's not just one idiot. This is my this is the first for me. I'm giving up multiple idiot of the movie awards. And that is mm. every single human soldier that had a gun trained on Colin Farrell's character and never pulled the trigger for the entire movie. I do think they suffered from some standing around syndrome. Right? I did catch that myself at, in the moment. What about Chris? My idiot of the movie is also Harry. Mainly because he gets himself killed. Yeah. Part of my personal qualifications for this award, if your actions are the direct cause of your own death, you are automatically an idiot of the movie. That's what he did. He took a gun away from someone and his only means to defend himself because he was so, he he was so sure of his plan. Oh, oh, trust me. No, no guys. No, no. Cohagen. Don't tear gas him. Don't tase him. Don't like turn on the fire suppression system. That'll cause a big distraction. Don't flashbang him. No, send me in unarmed. I will procure a weapon (laughs) and then surrender it. And then I'll get shot in the skull. It's genius. So in that scene, you know, in the original, you had the bead of sweat coming down the doctor's, the side of the doctor's face. And this one, you have Jessica Biel with a single tear. Very much an homage. (laughs) Oh. I I was like, oh, I see kind of what they did there. It's worse, but I I see what they tried to to do. That was another case to me of, you know, same thing with, you know, replacing Richter. That version of the scene was another case for me of them being smart enough to know that if we try to mimic what they did in 1990, it's going to blow up in our face. Like, we we cannot pull that off. You know, it's it, it'll just look completely garbage to people if they've seen the first one. So they're smart enough to know we have to do something different, not smart enough to come up with something good. <laughs> My favorite fake out. Well, my two favorite things were him saying, I'd like to go to Mars. And by the locker, I was like, okay, cool. All right, they mentioned Mars. Great. The, when he's coming through the checkpoint and he has the collar hologram thing on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you have oh, the, the lady, lady in front of him who's yeah. like, how long have you been here? Two weeks. And I was like, uh. <laughs> wait, it's got to be the, I like, I, I immediately, I knew it had to be the old guy because uh, the the older Asian man, because uh, you see that his face on the ID card before mm-hmm. that, the scene right before that. But I was like, it totally threw me. Did you notice, and because you've only seen the 1991 once. The one time, just now, yeah. She's wearing the same clothes. Yeah. She's wearing the yeah, exact, exact same, same thing. Outfit, yeah. The scene only works 
the way it does if you've seen the 1990 version, I think. Like, not having that reference, I'm like, why are we focusing on this person instead of this? Like, there's this weird, mm. uh, it would maybe be a little bit weird fake out. But I like the reference or Easter egg, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, so we got two Cohagen. Well, you got a Cohagen, not a Cohagen. You said a Harry idiot? We've got two Harrys. Yes. Todd Harrys. and I are both Harry. Two Harrys, yeah. and then uh, me, I have multiple uh, Stormtroopers. Yeah, you, you, yeah, I was going to say, they look exactly like Stormtroopers. Yeah, they do. <laughs> All right. I think it's time for the final question. Todd, we'll, we'll let you answer first. Oh, no. Worth the price of subscription. What's Netflix at now? <laughs> <laughs> That's, I don't know what the cheapest uh, I think Netflix is. I think I've still got it at nine, nine bucks a month. But like today, you know, if you're listening to this today, it's a close call, but I'd say yes. But it won't be by the end of the year because you're going to have commercials. <laughs> yeah, whatever they're going to add to it. And the price is going to go. So like for right now, it's sure. it's worth it, but it's soon it's soon to be on a lot of people's list of things to cut. No, not worth the price of subscription. Mostly because my subscription is nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents a month. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> yeah, I'm very much on the fence. I think the director's cut is a superior film with the few extended scenes, the extended dream sequence at the beginning where they confess their love. That doesn't happen in the in the theatrical cut. There's the dream sequence, but they don't talk. Um, or not about that anyways. Uh, her being Matthias' daughter, Ethan Hawke being <laughs> being Hauser. I think those are all great additions and they really fill out the movie. So if it, without those additions, I think that the, I really do think the theatrical cut's the worst cut. So I'm going to say no. However, if you're at your local big box store, if you're at Walmart and you see the $4 DVD bin, and there's Total Recall extended cut or director's cut. Oh, yeah. $4. Heck yeah. It's a fun, dumb popcorn action movie. Don't go into it expecting it to be anything like the original. And it's fun. I have no qualms about it. So I'm going to say no, not worth the price of subscription. But, you know. I mean, still yeah. check it out. But, you know, don't take yeah. my opinion for it. Yeah. Watch it when it's on cr- Crackle or something. I don't know. Yeah. Crackle. Wait till yeah. it's on IMDb TV or whatever they're calling it now. Yeah. To be yeah, watch it something. any way that you can. Yeah, yeah, or any watch it any way you can. <laughs> Do you want me to B roll us out of here in a second? Well, before uh, before we B roll, oh. Todd, thirty Plug seconds, it. sixty seconds, much time as you want. Re- the people have listened to your voice now for however <laughs> long this will end up being. Right. Uh, I got your links in the chat for anyone who's actually watching. Fantastic. Uh, uh, there will be another one for the YouTube link because I'm I'm new to YouTube and I haven't uploaded it yet. So I don't know what to tell people to search for. But by the time they're listening to this, the, the, I will have a link for you direct. Well, they can follow you on Twitter and you will tweet it out to them. That's true. SpiesLikeUs.net is the website and there is a YouTube button up in the upper right there. If you look for the podcast on your podcatcher of choice best thing to do is make sure you google uh or search spies like us podcast not just spies like us and i'm super excited to be sharing this video uh i'm very pleased with it so far and it's only going to get better awesome fantastic the other two-thirds of us are the sci-fi wise guys you can follow us on social media twitter and instagram at sci-fi wise guys so you can keep up to date on whatever it is we're doing or watch us retweet memes that we didn't actually create <laughs> also send us your suggestions for straight to stream science fiction anything vaguely science fiction we'll catch those at sci-fi wise guys at gmail.com 
Tom. Or if you just want to rant, we've had a few of those hit our inbox. Feel free to send them our way. We'll share. Uh, remember to like, subscribe, uh, rate us on iTunes, Podchaser, Good Pods. Do all of the things. Whenever you go to sleep at night, put us on your Spotify playlist. That's just all of our episodes and let it run You know, on mute. That's fine too. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Stay healthy. Stay hydrated. And if your wife tries to kill you after you just killed 20 people, uh, just go ahead and kill her. Yeah. Like just, <laughs> just What's one more homicide? Yeah. What's what's the big deal? Yeah. That way she can't try to kill you two hours later in an ambulance. So Yeah. Two hours. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was a quick, quick turnaround. All right. Thanks it's for listening, 118 guys. minutes, man. Yeah. It's a long It's 118 movie. minutes. It's a long Thanks for having me. This was great. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Appreciate it. Bye, everybody. I didn't know. Did we want to start with all three of us in there, or do we want to do just me and Chris on the stream and then bring Todd in? What What do you think? Uh, I think all three, but I didn't know yeah, if you wanted to be more dramatic about it. No, it's a tag team match. It's a triple right. threat tag team. It's a triple triple threat. Noise.